This podcast is brought to you by StoreMaven. I won't lie, I am an employee at StoreMaven, so I want to tell you a little bit about why it's the greatest company on earth. If you're interested in growing your app in any way, organically, paid, both, we have tools to help you do it, whether it's optimizing your creatives, measuring the success and the effect of different efforts that you're taking, or just telling you what people look for in an app. We're here to help you do it. Don't be afraid to learn by doing. Like test anything, break things. Don't read like guides and conferences. They're great and all. But at the end of the day, you want to do stuff. So just, yeah. So my short advice is just do it. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes, a podcast by Stormaven. We break down how and why mobile apps grow. In each episode, we invite a mobile growth expert onto the show to break down a specific mobile growth strategy, how it worked, why it worked, and what they would do differently. I'm your host, Esther Schatz. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes. I'm very excited to be joined today by Thomas Petit, who I I have to tell you, I've been uh, following since the very days I joined uh, the ASO world back in 2014. And I'll let let you introduce yourself a bit further. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks, Esther. And uh, nice nice attempt here at the the French accent. (laughs) Um, yeah. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm happy to be on the on the, the, the Pancake Postcast because uh, a couple of episodes before were really, really good. So I encourage you to check like the, the other speakers before. Um, yeah, I'm Thomas today speaking with Esther. I'm an independent consultant on mobile growth. So I touch a bit, a, a little bit of a yes but a lot of other topics from paid to onboarding, analytics attribution, and a lot of other topics. And yeah, happy to be here, Esther. Thanks for the invite. (laughs) Thanks for coming. So, I mean, you've been in the space, I think, probably about since there's been a space to be in, uh, you know, within the world of uh, of mobile growth. And, you know, one of the things that actually you and I were speaking about before as well is how much the world seemed to have blended together a little bit. So maybe back in the beginning, we really focused on ASO as an independent metric, on UA as an independent strategy. Um, talk me through how that looks to you today, why it's changing. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. That trend that trend is really strong. If I look from a very broad perspective, like, uh, I don't know, eight years or something, or six years, or like, which is an eternity in our world, um, I think there are two core trends. One is that one, like sort of the different... Uh, disciplines are, are, are merging together. And I think that's why the word that's what the word growth is really encompassing. Like instead of having acquisition on one side and maybe CRM on the side and maybe uh, what I call early product, like a lot of onboarding and monetization on one side. This is just all part of the growth team. Um, so that that's one big trend. The other one is that everything becomes more complex as more players enter the field and there are more tools and there are more factors. The platform becomes smarter. So yeah, in the early days, it was fun. You know, you could just stick a couple of keywords in the in the title and and look at your organic downloads grow. I mean, good luck trying that today. Like stick a couple <laughs> of keywords in your title. And it, it, the most likely is that absolutely nothing is going to happen, like at best. At worst, you can even fuck it up, uh, I, I believe. Like I, I had a case recently, like they tried to change stuff and actually the... Rankings didn't change, but the conversion dropped massively. It was a huge fuck-up, so it uh, <laughs> doesn't matter. And 
Yeah, I think this this complexity uh, is tough to handle from the ISO side, but it also makes it exciting because it's not anymore about keyword and it's a lot about one monitoring a lot of factors from vitals to what are doing paid people to conversion to like it's really like featureings like um, sometimes we have shit data, but I mean it makes it interesting that there's a lot to check. And what's interesting is we have to interact with the other teams. And because I move like sort of more from the ASO side to the paid side, from very early on, I was a strong advocate of guys, we need to work together. It's stupid to have like sort of the paid team on one side and the ASO guy on the other side. And I've been fighting for this in company for, for years, I mean, for like three, four years. I'm kind of happy that this is becoming a, more of a reality. Um, I've seen in some cases, like in bigger companies, where actually the ASO role is really pivotal in the sense that you need to sync with the dev team because it's related to the release. You need to sync with brand for the creative. You need to sync with the paid team because it's, it has a huge impact on, on, on your KPI. And actually, it's quite of a like, very cross-functional role uh, that has become super interesting because you're, you're in a center point of interaction of, of many people. And I think that's what makes it exciting. So it's much harder than it used to be, but it's also much more exciting. That's the, that's the way I see it. I totally agree. I think um, obviously this isn't going to be new, uh, especially if you've listened to this podcast before or anything to do with mobile, anything, but iOS 14 came in and IDFA is kind of the last bucket of uh, the major revolution that that is probably coming, I guess, around March is, uh, is current rumor. That, uh, you know, I think a lot of developers are looking at it both with absolute terror and uh, the fact that this changes everything that's been working until now. But I actually have heard a lot of kind of excitement, too. It's changing our processes. It's making us uh, it's taking away the the routine, right? Like we're we're now going to innovate and we'll see what else innovates. I, I'd love to hear how you think it looks day after, you know, change goes into place. Yeah. You can't track user level analytics. What next? Yeah, I mean, it's clear there's a bit of terror here. Like, uh, and and, and it, we're in an industry that we're, where change is fast, almost permanent and quite big, but this one is really, really big. So, and I mean, the lack of 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 uh, not documentation, there is documentation, but let's say the lack of depth of documentation, the lack of preparation from uh, a few of the biggest network who were like mid-January and who actually have, no clue what the biggest, uh, like what the duopoly is exactly going to do. And it is. so it's scary not to know because there's a lot of uncertainty. I think the excitement part, like w without commenting too much, like technicalities and how, like how to manage that and all. I think here, like following the, the previous conversation, what's really interesting and what's really exciting is that we want it or not, it will force us to look at this paid and organic uh, interaction and dynamics from a new perspective. Like, and I think here, like those who haven't looked at it enough will be forced to look at it. Those who were already analyzing paid and, and organic um, uh, dynamics will have a complete fresh view on it. And in a way for, for the paid side, like this change in attribution is probably for the worst. Like, because we will have less granularity, less visibility, less flexibility. But if you look at it as a whole, for the analysis of how things look like and 
I mean, there's always been a very strong effect of paid on organic, which could be a hint that actually attribution was not exactly working the way we thought it was. And then suddenly we have a complete new way of looking at attribution that is forced onto developers uh, for the better and the worse. But the better part of it is that we will have to relook at things completely. And I think here one of the huge, um, something that has a huge implication is that Apple does not deal with impression view attribution, like view through attribution. And it's like everything is click-based. But if you look at first the user behavior, you see that the younger generation, they're clicking less and less and going to the store more by themselves. Like clicking is a thing of, of our generation of the 35 plus or whatever. Like, yeah, we're old school. We're clicking. Like the, 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 the younger, they're so don't. old now. <laughs> they, they know don't. not to trust ads. They're not going to click straight I, on I, I, Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm clicking. I'm an old dude. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I'm seeing it more and more. Like, and, and you see, you see it like around around you, like younger younger audience react a little bit differently, but even in channels. That's why typically YouTube or TikTok have a huge um, view through attribution share, like because uh, because it's video, because of the way the channel is, but also because of the audience that is that is there. And I think here it's gonna be like tough to reconcile, and we're gonna have a look at it. Um, yeah, and I had a second point, which was uh, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 the user base, but it's also the channels. I mean, you look at at TikTok like two years ago, nobody was putting a dime there, and now everybody's is, is scrambling to raise their budget there. Even even YouTube, I mean, YouTube's been there for like fifteen years, but if you look in the media mix of most developers, like in even like two years ago, it was from a minority to almost zero, and then suddenly it took such a share. Because users are flocked there, because Google have, uh, has moved a lot of, like, has unlocked a lot of inventory, raising the ad load and all, for the better as well. But then, going back to your to your question is, yeah, the data we're going to have is going to look very different. Um, my recommendation is, is the time to review your assumptions on how paid and organic work. Like, we're going to have a complete new world of information that is coming there. And we'll be able to contrast like the old way and the new way to track to try to improve our assumption, which are mostly wrong. You know, we're thinking like, oh yeah, that channel has a thirty percent uplift or whatever. The truth is, uh, our mathematical models behind that they, they're pretty weak, and and a lot of smart people right now they're working on exactly that on approximating better um, incrementality and the paid organic, like stopping to see paid and organics the way. Uh, attribution provider give it to us and the way stores give it to us. Like, I mean, App Store Connect and, and the console are notoriously really bad for that aspect. Actually, Google is so bad at that they even removed it from the console, <laughs> which a lot of people are crying about. But what I'm thinking is, is it better to have a wrong information I rely on or not to have the information? Usually, I prefer the wrong uh, information because then I can extrapolate a little bit around it, but uh, for many people, maybe it's good not to be misled by something that is actually not the truth, and you're going to have to figure it out. Hey, it's not going to be simple for sure, but yeah, the summary here is that we're going to be pushed to look at this interaction in a, in a new way, and for me, that's exciting. The terror part is we don't know where we're going. Like, So yeah. I agree with you. Like, <laughs> both sides of the coins are there. 
I love that point, actually. I don't think I've ever thought about it that way. When you we've always talked about things like K factor and what's the you know the unattributed side of paid and what's going on. But when you're phrasing it that way, when you look at TikTok, when you look at YouTube, which actually a lot of developers who focus on you know kids, developers who are really going for younger apps, they need YouTube advertisement because how yeah. else are you reaching that that generation? And the click throughs are terrible, but that doesn't mean yeah. the ads perform terribly at all. It's basically um, you know, I've heard it from a few people at this point, you have to start, you know, being comfortable with your performance marketing, also being your brand marketing. That's how you're getting your name out. That's how you're, you know, where you're associated, what you're doing. I love, um, I don't know if you saw it, Calm, the meditation app, they did uh, a sponsorship of the presidential debates in the US. Yeah, That was the crazy, you know, there's no click there. There's no nothing. They soared. They were top of the charts for, I don't remember how long it's, uh, it's so true that if you're not, if you're so focused on click and that, that single user attribution of following the one person, you know, step by step without being able to be in their mind, you completely miss these potentially massive effects that are, you know, moving your needle in every way. Yeah. And I mean, the, the thing we, we have to think, even though there's still a lot of people clicking, like in a way, like both for performance and organic, the way I'm trying to think about it is, Let's forget about uh, click rates. And typ like typically on the paid side, uh, I've always looked at what, what gaming apps would call IPM, uh, which I call impression to install ratio, which is if people click more or less, it doesn't really matter. Like what actually really matters is, is that ratio without the intermediary step. This is the same when you look at it in, in search ads. Because actually, people can install directly from the search result. So if you're monitoring like, oh, what's my click-to-install conversion rate? It's a bit of a flowed metric in the sense that there are people who did install but did never pass from that. So I really recommend like to sort of, the, the, the click is important in the journey. Like you have, like from the organic side, you really have to consider how is the search result looking and how is my product page looking? But from a measurement perspective, I think it's it's not great to look at intermediary steps, uh, specifically click-through rate and insta rate. And, and we should rather look at the insta rate directly as the combination of those two metrics, like as, as in IPM. And from, a, from an analytics point of view, I think this is the only way to go. But then from the ASO perspective, of course, you want to consider both situations because people are... So some people are going to see this product page and spend time on it and so on. Um, yeah, but it's interesting to think like you measure your outcome on one metric, but actually there are intermediary steps that you're working on to, to improve. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely one of the main challenges in mobile today is like the, you're never going to have a clean, most developers can't afford to have a clean environment, right? You can't stop offline activities and in-app events just to measure one specific UA campaign and follow through. How do you think people can address that? You know, if we're, I, I like what you said about cut out middle steps. So you're actually looking at the full picture of what happens in the beginning, what happens at the end, but how, you know, any tips on how you can take that step of, of actually attributing, you know, even if we get all these teams in the same room and we know they're working together, how do we know which efforts really creating the impact? I guess here the first part of the answer is accept the uncertainty. Accept that nobody's going to come to the table saying, oh, that action was exactly X. Like that we're all relying on estimations, 
or methodologies that are provided by whether it's MMPs or the stores or your own extrapolation or whatever, you're based on a methodology that will have some flow. And I think here the first part of the response is accept the uncertainty, but also understand why the uncertainty. So that like a little bit dig into not only, oh, I know that we don't know, but I actually go into it, okay, MMP do it more like this and the store do it more like that. And and I know that this channel might have this more effect, just like we talk about TikTok or YouTube or, oh, I know influencer, I can't like, I don't know, I've seen an app recently, they only measure influencer results from what is coming into their MMP. And I'm like, uh, guys, you're missing out on 90% of the impact of this campaign. Of course, it looks like shit if you only look at what's dragged. Like, you have to extrapolate a little bit. Otherwise, you're, I mean, it's not you're half blind. It's you're 90% blind, really. Um, and, and then going back to your question, I, I think like a strong, the, the, the complex way of answering this is um, developing media mix model and incrementality model that help you approximate this effect, like it's never entirely true. And I think here with, the, with this change of iOS 14, it's, a, it's really a topic that is becoming really hot. There are a couple startups that emerged uh, in, a, in the past year specializing on that. And I think like even the, the MMP are working on that. Like it's gonna be, we're, as developers, we're gonna have a lot more help to go beyond the usual deterministic and store data and have more of this extrapolation. They're hard to do internally. Like uh, I've been working with the developers on a modelization like this for like about a year, and it's hard to get like exact results. But at the end of the day, you are making better decision because you're better informed. And it's about using this different. It's not we take it as granted, but it gives us another perspective. So we we'll have the MMP perspective, the store perspective, and that modelization perspective, and that's what we make the decision on. I'm talking about pretty advanced, like sophisticated setups and tools and kind of information and decisions. The simple way of doing that, and here my advice, strong, the, the simple advice is tell whether it's your, the paid team as a whole or a channel manager, like a, a media buyer or even the ASO team, whatever you're reporting, whether it's Facebook, all of paid, only the organic, I want to see the total, like the blended value in parallel, no matter what you do. And this is kind of, for me, fundamental in, for two reasons. Why is you want to avoid, like the situation that is super famous about Uber that stopped like 100 million of marketing or whatever, and actually the blended didn't move like one bit because it was all like just cannibalization and fraud and stuff. But actually, you want to monitor that because it's healthy and because I'm not saying you're going to protect from fraud, by looking at the blended, but at least you will detect like, like the stuff that really don't move the needle at all. There's just moving the attribution, but actually they're not incremental at all. The other one is that, sorry, just to finish, uh, it aligns the interest in the company. Everybody starts looking in the same direction, like from, from a culture point of view and like, and we stop having this, this fact of, oh yeah, but I'm the one managing TikTok and I know there is, I'm more at the top of the funnel than you who managed search and like sort of internal battles of, yeah, this guy is stealing my traffic with this last click and having more everybody about, okay, I know you have this, this, this channel to manage, but what I care about is the total line. All the rest doesn't matter to me. And, 
I think it really aligns interest to to think like this, and I'm trying to give that advice, which is very very simple to execute. We're not talking about complex monetization. Just put on the second axis the total value. That's it. Whether it's LTV CAC, volume of install, uh, retention, like whatever the value you're trying to to look at, look at it in parallel with the blended value. Uh, is my advice. Maybe the best tip I think uh, I think that you could give because it covers, you know, first of all, I think you had two things in there that were really powerful. Um, blended is something that you see a lot of the bigger companies missing just because they are so large and they have so many teams and the teams tend to fun- function so autonomously. You see, I think the easiest example is, you know, when we look at Apple search ads and the cannibalization that happens there, the search ads team is thrilled because they've just gotten a ton of cheap, high quality installs through. And the organic team is wondering what the heck is going on because their performance seems to have tanked and they're not getting anything they need. And if you're looking at that blended and you're looking at that total, you see nothing's changed. We've just spent way more money to get there. Um, And until you look at that, you're just going to keep, you know, kind of going through that. But I, I also really like the point about being comfortable with trends, maybe instead of exact numbers, which I think yeah. is something that's very difficult for people to do in our industry. But you're not, you know, if IDFA, you never had it before, but IDFA is making it that much more transparent. You can't, you cannot assume that you have this exact number per, it's always going to be assumption. It's always going to be inherently by definition wrong if you're attributing user by user. So I think that is a really important point. Keep an eye on the trend, be more comfortable without the exact quantification that goes with it. Yeah, I don't think I said that, but that's awesome. Uh, I'm completely, <laughs> I completely agree. No, I did without, I rephrased, without realizing. But you said you hit the point. <laughs> okay, no, no, I, I completely agree here. I mean, for the understanding, probably you will have to report, yeah, we spent X and that returned last month. And at some point you will have to report it that way. And you would say, okay, so Facebook is 20% more or less profitable than this or that or whatever. But actually, when you are running uh, the campaign from, I mean, whether you're the CMO or or the campaign manager, like at any level, yeah, I think trends is where you really understand what's going on. And we, we've got much better toolings now. You know, I remember back in the early days of paid, like I didn't have any BI system. I didn't have that aggregation, like cost aggregation tool. And... I was making this constant export and I would have like a, a million Excel file on my on my on my desk, which I, I very often trash, but I wanted to see, okay, so I want to see the daily average. And then I realized it's fluctuating too much. So I say, okay, the weekly average. And then and then I did this and uh, not not average, I mean weekly trend and daily trend. And I would export nonstop. And the beauty of it is that today it's a lot easier to do that. Like wh- whichever system you use, whether it's like Tableau, Looker, Data Studio, maybe. Maybe a, a MNP dashboard, maybe a singular app summer. I mean, all of them, they make it surfacing trends over numbers a lot easier. And even at some point, I mean, numbers are for reporting externally, but in a way, you could look at this data without the axis value, like, which is terrible. Like, never share a, a graph <laughs> without the axis value, but mentally speaking, you could look at it without the value. The value doesn't matter. The value is a construction of of the model, but you want to see, is it, is it going in the right direction or not? Like this is what you want to look at. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's also, it comes, you know, in addition to all that is just making sure something that I've noticed many, many, many companies aren't on top of is where are the impact points? Where are the efforts that we've taken? Where are outside events that should be, you know, 
the easiest example I can think of right now is uh, when COVID hit mid-March, pretty much every app saw something insane. Either your performance zoomed, you know, if you were a gaming app around March 15th, you probably saw your performance just explode into numbers you've never seen. If you were some kind of face-to-face app, you know, ticketing app or, or whatever, you probably saw your performance absolutely tank. If you're not kind of, if you're just looking at the the numbers and you're missing the context of what actually happened to cause these change, I also, I think it's, uh, you know, when you're, when you're talking at trend lines and you're trying to see the right direction, you, you also want to make sure you're overlaying the causes. What is pushing it? You know, people don't wake up one day and just decide not to search for something that they had been deciding to say, you know, there's always something there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there, there's so many moving pieces in that puzzle. I mean, there's many things we do that can have a positive impact or sometimes create a complete fuck up, but there's lots of exter- externalities at play. And I've like sort of COVID was sort of the what the biggest of all, you know, it was so massively bad for apps like travel and, and mobility and so on, and so massively good in like education, communication and stuff. I'm very surprised at the dating vertical because I would have guessed they would tank and they actually managed to sort of get it out of that mess and provide values for users who couldn't meet anymore, which for me is amazing. But there are a lot of these externalities, sometimes smaller. Sometimes they are linked to seasonality because maybe it's uh, Thanksgiving or, or Halloween or St. Valentine or Christmas or whatever, and they're specific by, by country, like behaviors are different. Sometimes they're not seasonality or exceptional stuff like this, but they're like, sort of, there's always things happening. And then there's one thing I'm trying to do that is not easy at all, is to create a group of peers that are really the same. And I think here, categories, I don't know how good they are for users. I mean, you go to the fitness category and there's like a lot of things. You go to education, it means from kids stuff to student stuff to adult, uh, you know, like uh, uh, lifelong learning and training. Like they, every category encompasses a lot of subcategories. I call them clusters. And I started seeing like a few a few graphs on, on those clusters. And I think they're a lot more insightful when you look at it. So I always try to look at, oh, something big is happening. Is it us or is it everybody? And by everybody, I mean everybody like me. And I don't mean the category. Very often it's hard to compare yourself in the category. Let's say you are a workout app. Well, the meditation app might have a completely different dynamic uh, or the diet app, which are also in the fitness and health category. The, like sort of these clusters react very differently. I, w- I work with one kids app, for example, that is in the education vertical. Yeah, but in the education vertical, my app is nothing comparable to Blinkist or even brain training apps that are usually in the education category as well. So I want to kick those out. And here I think Google did a great update in that, that I can like sort of have some of these subclusters um, first in the conversion rate where there are actually categories that are different from the store. You can actually get only meditation apps, only tracker apps and so on. They're still missing a few subcategories here, but I mean, it's a great effort. And then in, I think it's in the review part where you can actually select yourself a group of 10 or 12 peers. I don't know exactly which app is doing what. It's still partly anonymous, but this direction is like a lot better than the category to at least grasp like uh, when something is happening, like let's say COVID. Um, so this kids app, kids education app, obviously um, sore because kids are at home and you look for school replacement and so on. What I'm interested in is, 
yeah, maybe I'm growing 2x, but if all my peers are growing 4x, what I'm actually doing is wrong. Like, uh, and, and the other way around, like, uh, if the whole vertical is in a tough spot because maybe it's December and the inventory is crazy expensive and so on, well, maybe I decrease 20%. Maybe I'm actually gaining ground uh, compared to the other. Um, this is not so easy to do, but I think it's also very recommendable to have like a decent idea of, is it me, is it the other, and how I'm doing comparatively. And I think here Google is, is a lot in advance over Apple into evaluating ASO factor in a comparative manner. How is your conversion rate comparing? How is your retention rate comparing? How is your crash rate comparing? And, and judge you based on, are you doing better or worse than people who are doing the same uh, as you? It's a really good point. I mean, there's a, I think a lot of people rely on category ranking as their metric of this is how I know if I'm in line with the industry. But what you're saying is so true because if I'm looking at, at fitness apps, you know, if I happen to be uh, an app that connects to a gym, like uh, my, my, of course I tanked in COVID yeah. because nobody could go to the gym, but other fitness apps, the ones that let you work out at home probably exploded. I guess, you know, Google definitely have, uh, you know, the, being able to define your peers and use those peers for, for benchmarks is massive. How do you, you know, with iOS, it's, it's definitely not easy. Is it person by person? You're just looking manually for the competitors and, and kind of flagging them in a, in an app intelligence tool. How do you, how do you go about that? Uh, it's, it's, it's a bit of a pain, I have to say, like, I mean, but as many things in ASO, it's, it's about doing the best of impartial data and, and information. And it's always been like this from, from the early days. So it's also part of the challenge of, of how do I approximate something that I know the information is not entirely available. Um, here, there are a couple of things you can look at. Uh, one being aggregating a group that you form yourself in an app intelligence tool, like sort of I don't care that Calm did X install and Headspace did Inks install, but I want to see like the top five meditation app. I pick them myself, just put like DataOS and DataOS and make a group out of them. Just not necessarily native in all these tools. And I don't understand why, but there's always a way of, of reworking this data on your side. Uh, another one you can look, especially for conversion, they're not perfect, but now a, a few benchmarks have emerged. Um, uh, on a couple of tools, uh, some that are competition, like, I don't know, AppFollow has one, I think AppTwick has one. Uh, like, there are a couple out there where you can actually, like, what, what I hate about Benchmark is that it's real, you're rarely compare, comparing with something that is really meaningful because here what you want to have is, okay, I want the category, I want the source of traffic, I want, I mean, if I'm looking at the whole or search on it, it's completely... I have one case on, on the Play Store where the benchmark comparing to the subcategory, like to people who do exactly like they do, is much worse than the, the peers. But then you look into it, is they got so much more traffic coming from low, typically low conversion sources. So they've got more explore than search, whereas the competitor Featuring, has more search than explore. Yeah, yeah. And they've got a ton of traffic from TikTok and YouTube, which typically converts less than, say, Instagram or whatever. Um, and we just have to accept that ah, if I nail it down, down to that level, I can actually really compare what's going on. Like it's really hard. And, and on, on iOS, like you just don't get to that level of information. I think it's worse. Even, even I don't have tricks to surface information that just doesn't exist outside of Apple servers and that we're not ready to get. What I'm saying is uh, 
keeper were like the keeper were what you're actually looking at. Like e even in those benchmarks, like what what's behind it? Like, and this is where you want to look over time as well. Like you know, uh, uh, so, sometimes so I, I'm. I give a couple of ASO class and also like there's a retention part and the students are like, okay, but so what's a good install rate or what's a good retention rate? And I say, the good install rate, the good conversion rate is the one that is better than the one you had yesterday. It means you're improving. It means you're making progress. It means you understand your audience better. Stop looking at the other. Stop measuring, uh, like stop comparing your dick with your neighbors and start like looking at, can I iterate my product in, in, in a way that users like it more. And so even if it's a low value, but three times in a row, you find an increment of 10%, keep going, you're, you're, you're in the right direction. That's the only thing that matters. Yeah, I agree. I think it's also one of the reasons that in a lot of cases, I'll, I'll recommend people not look at their conversion rate at all, because if you've done something that's increased your traffic dramatically, you know, best example is featuring Apple feature you on the Today page, You've, you've gone up an insane amount in your impression rate. You're never going to go up by that amount in your install rate. It's impossible because you were being exposed to more relevant people. Now you're exposed to way, way more. And some of them are more relevant, but so many of them are less. So then you want to kind of shift your KPI. If you're only focusing on your conversion rate, you think you've tanked your entire performance because you went from, you know, 5% to 0.2%, but actually you brought in triple the amount of users you did before. So I totally agree. You have to keep Benchmarks are a gift and a curse because you need some level to say, you know, something outside of me is happening or there's there's a limit to what I can expect to hit. But you also tie yourself to a situation where when you, unless you happen to know, you know, the ASO manager at every company and you can get the, uh, you know, what are you guys doing right now so I can compare to make sure we're, we're really comparing apples to apples. You have to have the context. You have to really be looking at your specific scenario and what it means in relation to what you've done before. So I think, uh, you know, I, I totally agree. Um, one, one last uh, question, I guess that I have be, you know, on topic, it's a little bit of a shift, but we talked about a lot of the alternative things that are coming through and companies that are, that are coming up with different ideas to be able to tackle. Um, something I've spoken about with a few people is the idea of bringing web into the mix somehow, right? Like, uh, you have, you have certain tracking and, uh, and abilities on web. And I know this is something you've been thinking about as well. So interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I see I, I'm very bullish on complementing app traffic with web traffic, maybe not for all verticals. And I think maybe in the, the gaming vertical is the one where it's less, there's less affinity to go cross-platform. But then when, when you look at non-gaming, I mean, a lot of brands have already activity in both sides. Like even if you're like mainly app, mobile first or whatever, and people are browsing no matter what. And the fact that we're, I, I see a lot of like UA people just like, yeah, I'm doing these app campaigns, I'm good. Like, oh, I'm protecting my brand all I can on Apple search ads, but they're not protecting their brand at all on, on google.com, like on the web. For me, it's like a weird way. And the truth here is that it's hard. Like. It's hard to do. The data is hard to look at in combination. It's very hard to find professionals who understand both sides. I mean, I, I started on, on, the, on, on the web, like before moving to apps around 2013 or, or around that or whatever. And I feel so rusty now. Like, you know, when I talk with like a few peers and counterparts, uh, I feel um, 
I mean, like five, six years have gone and uh, I've missed so much that I feel like a total newbie there, which, which is a good feeling in a way also because you learn a lot and so on. But what I'm meaning here is that it's very hard to find professionals who are good at both. It's very hard to understand the dynamics of data when you have activities on both the web and the app. Some business have, a natural, have naturally like both sides and I'm working with a few of them and like, it's so hard. Like, it seems... Just, I, I used to have that funny saying that there is a there is an invisible uh, obstacle, like a fence between the digital and the analog world. Like typically, that's why printer always like a printer never works because the printer is sort of the machine that transforms one thing into the other. And I had this feeling it's not only for printer, but like any kind of machine that transforms analogic into digital or the other way around, usually. Uh, keeps breaking and has bugs and whatever, like there is a frontier. And I have a feeling today, like sort of the app world that is working in silo in between each other and the web guys who have never heard about UAC, they're just discovering about this ATT prompt in January 2021, like sort of eight months after it was announced. Sort of there is also a, a fence between these two worlds. And Breaking down that fence is really, really a hard mission. It's a big challenge. Running acquisition on web for apps, like doing web to apps properly, is really hard. The channel, they're not prepared for it. The data is hard to interpret. The talent is not the same. Like the skills you need is not the same. But my conclusion, I'm saying it's nothing easy. But the ones who will be among the first to actually do it properly, I think you have a huge advantage for the long term. Like you can really complement, like, oh yeah, maybe, maybe, like, I don't know, for example, if you're looking at older uh, audience traffic, there's a lot more than on the web. And if your competitor are just doing the usual Facebook and Google and Apple and whatnot, and they find some of them, but actually you've got an edge over, over them. And that's, that's a bit of a particular use case, but I have a feeling that those who will tackle this challenge successfully, they really, really have a, they really construct an advantage that will be hard for competitors to replicate in a short period of time. So I'm very bullish about that. I'm working about that like, on, on the web to app topic with like several developers. Two is it's a nightmare. If you're a small team and you still have a lot of increment to make just on the app, like get there. It's, it's not a low hanging fruit. Like it's sort of high effort, high impact initiative that can take a year or two before they actually show their full potential. Um, so it depends the stage you are. It's not necessarily a good choice to put yourself in there. Um, yeah, let's see. Um, here, I have a little message for Apple, which I doubt is listening, but I, I'll try my luck, is, hey, guys, what do we do with SKN Network here? Like, like, I mean, you only plan the app-to-app -app situation. What the fuck am I going to do with the web-to-app traffic? Because if you think I'm going to rely on this campaign parameter that you have in App Store Connect, this is not going to cut it. Like, uh, so please, yeah, integrate something for, for the web in, in, in the attribution framework. <laughs> this is going to be my wish for, for this somebody, year. Somebody pass this through to Apple. No, I mean, I think it, it connects to what we were saying before also, which is if we think about the behavior being less and less click, you can't expect your ad to directly lead somebody into the app store. You know, I don't know if it's an age thing I can say about my behavior. I'm always going to be more comfortable on Google search than I am on any other search because that's what I do. That's my default. That's where I go. And then that's my journey into app store. So I, I definitely agree. If you're missing that web presence, whatever the demographic, you're missing some massive, massive chunk of it. Yeah. Um, and it is really hard. I mean, web, I, I, 
I like that that printer analogy. It's like the translator of uh I keep I have like a stranger things image in my head now of trying to move from up the upside down and like this is the machine that's trying to help you get there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but web also, you know, web is web is a long game. Like SEO is not the kind of thing that you get to change with a single version release and then all of a sudden you see your numbers soar. It's 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 an investment and you need to actually it can't be a pilot for two weeks. You know what I mean? Like you can't try it out, see if it works. It's you're all in or you're not. Um, so yeah, I think it's a good point. Yeah. The thing about the long game is that you don't see the result immediately. You can't do it in a sprint, but, uh, there's more compounding effect. Like, like mobile is so, or apps, the app world is so like sort of ephemeral, like things go up and down, like really ra rapidly. And I think here it's a way to build sort of a, of a barrier of entry for other people. If you're if you're able to like sort of invest these resources over six, 12 months and start seeing like uh, what, what, what you've prepared and it's really hard to replicate for others. So it's also a way to defend your business. And that also means the late, like the more you delay it, the later you start, the, the harder it's gonna be. Like, so it's kind of, yeah, it's part of this long game effort. Again, depending on the phases, the stage you are at with with the company or the app, like it might not be the best idea for the short term, but uh, yeah, don't don't push it forever like out of of the equation. I done that mistake a couple of times myself, so I'm trying to like. But yeah, hard hard challenges. Uh, we also want hard challenges. Nothing. No, hard no, challenges, no. exactly. This is why uh, this is why we're employed because we, yeah. we need people who are thinking to tackle them. All right, let's move into uh, to quick fire round of questioning. So you've been cool. in the space for almost a decade now. What's one tip? Just one tip that you would give to somebody who's just trying to break into mobile growth. Uh, don't be afraid to, to, to like, uh, learn by doing like test anything, break things. Don't read like guides and, you know, conferences, they're great and all, but at the end of the day, you want to do stuff. So even if it's a small app, ask an indie guy, you've never done TikTok ads. You want to try them, spend a hundred dollars on, on, on it. Like it's the best training you can ever do. So just, yeah. So my, my, my short advice is just do it. <laughs> Never heard that slogan before. Um, okay, <laughs> favorite uh, favorite mobile growth resource. Favorite mobile growth resource. I, I'm, a, I'm a complete groupie of uh, Eric Seifert, so I recommend uh, Mobile Dev Memo as well as the as the Slack that goes with it. I think the ASO stack is also like worth a, a mention. Like really great community of of organic practitioner and lots of learning and lots of people helping each other. So yeah, those two those two are really worth a mention. Let's say COVID ends uh, tomorrow. We get to go back to normal life. Uh, who is the one person in the industry that you want to take to lunch and why? I'd say probably my closest friend that I miss, you know, not necessarily people in the industry, but uh, yeah, I'll name, uh, I'll name Andy Carvel. <laughs> and why? Yeah, because Andy is such a, a, a joyful source of information, but he's, he's also a good friend. And, I think here in the mobile growth space, which is pretty broad, we're very complementary to each other. So every time I every time I exchange with him, I think we're both getting something out of it. I'm I'm strong, I'm weak where he's strong, and vice versa. And that makes that makes the best partnerships. I'm um, in full agreement there. That's perfect. All right. Most important question of this whole time: What is your favorite kind of pancake? 
<laughs> You're gonna laugh uh, because I, I don't eat that much, that many pancakes. So I'm gonna say the French crepe. <laughs> so it's kind of validate partly. Uh, actually, I like the savory one, sort of kind of like an egg and lots of cheese and uh, and something. So I, I'm gonna say the savory French crepe. I like it a lot. We actually have a, a savory crepe place like two seconds away from us. So it's my my go-to cool. uh, breakfast lately. Um, okay, amazing. Thomas, Thomas, where can people find you for more? Where can they, they learn a bit more from you after this? Uh, they can find me online because offline, it's not the time to find me. I don't <laughs> want you to find me. Uh, uh, I'm very easy to find online. Uh, I'm in the slacks I mentioned before, and uh, you can usually find me on any kind of social network under the name Thomas BCN, uh, Twitter, um, LinkedIn, those slacks, whatever. Um, I'm not on Instagram with that name, so don't look for that. But um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, ve I'm very easy to reach online. Uh, probably you can Google my name and find me. But yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, free to come and say hi. I mean, those slacks they're here to exchange between peers. In you ask what's the best resources, and instead of answering by like a content, I answered by a place where you have actually other people to ask. And I think this is this is the way you learn. This is the way you have fun. Uh, yeah. So let let see you there. My DMs are open. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so so much for uh, for joining today. I can't believe it's taken this long for us to speak, but I'm really really happy we got the chance. Yeah, great. Thanks for inviting. See see you. And that was Mobile Growth and Pancakes. To find out more about StoreMaven and how we can improve App Store performance, visit StoreMaven.com. And then make sure to search for Mobile Growth and Pancakes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at StoreMaven, thanks for listening.